0: As the coronavirus pandemic took the world by storm, for the first time, many people in developed countries understood what it is like to lack access to essential medicines they need to survive. For people in poor countries, lack of access to medicines has always been a problem. This podcast explores the access to medicines issue and how we can promote global health more broadly. Famous scientist Marie Curie once said that talking is the best medicine. In this podcast, we will heed the advice of Curie and discuss how we can ethically and effectively tackle the health challenges currently affecting our world. Throughout this series, we will break down and explore fascinating new research being conducted by leading researchers and activists in the diverse field of public health who have dedicated their lives to understanding the problems and identifying the solutions to health crises that impact millions of people around the world. So, sit back and enjoy this episode of Talk is the Best Medicine brought to you by the Global Health Impact Project. Welcome back to another episode of Talk is the Best Medicine. My name is Matt Flowski and I'm excited to introduce you all to my next guest here with me today, Dr. Aidan Hollis. Dr. Hollis is a professor of economics at the University of Calgary His research is primarily in the area of industrial organization with a specific focus on competition and innovation issues in pharmaceutical markets. He is a director and the president of the nonprofit Incentives for Global Health, whose main goal is to promote the delinking of drug prices from the cost of research through the Health Impact Fund, which we will fortunately be hearing more about today. In addition to his work in incentives for global health, Dr. Hollis has advised companies and governments as well as provide expert testimony and reports on a variety of pharmaceutical related cases in federal appeals and Supreme Court cases in Canada. Moreover, he has served on the WHO guideline development group on antimicrobial use in food animals and expert advisory panel of the Global AMR R&D Hub. To round out his numerous accomplishments, he served as the TD MacDonald Chair in Industrial Economics at the Canadian Competition Bureau and published over 50 peer-reviewed journal articles. And today, Dr. Hollis will be delving more deeply into his recent work discussing the benefits of the Health Impact Fund in his talk titled, The Irresistible Economic Logic of the Health Impact Fund. So thank you for coming to speak with us today, Dr. Hollis. It's a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like how long you've been working in the field and what got you interested in access to medicines and the Health Impact Fund?
1: I feel like I've been working in the field uh, forever now, but um, (laughs) since um, almost since I I started as a professor. I, I... Joined the University of Calgary about uh, just over 20 years ago, focusing on industrial organization, which is about how companies uh, compete and how governments regulate them and that interaction. I've been particularly interested in development economics, and uh, certainly one of the most important areas in development is health. Um, I happen to get interested in pharmaceutical markets, which are an interesting and complex area of industrial organization, you can see that basically uh, drugs don't look like other markets very much. I mean, a, a classically complex example about pharmaceutical markets is that the people who consume drugs typically don't pay for them or not the full amount, and they don't choose which drugs they consume either. Somebody else chooses them but doesn't pay for them. And uh, then the, the party that pays for them, typically the insurer, doesn't choose those drugs or use them. So um, it's uh, <clears throat> not like other markets. So I got involved in in, uh, in pharmaceutical markets as a really interesting uh and messy area of economics. And then I've been focused on that really for the last 20 years. And uh, over that time, my interest in sort of thinking about how to make sure that drugs can get to people who need them, who are not well served by existing market mechanisms has been a, a core part of my research.
0: So now Dr. Hollis, I'll let you take it away and explain to us the important work you are doing with
1: the Health Impact Fund. Sure, so it's, it's really a pleasure and thank you. And thanks to Nicole, Um, whom I've known for quite a few years um, for her important work. Basically, in this talk, what I want to do is I want to, first of all, begin with discussing a little bit of the underlying set of problems. Then I want to tell you about the target that we have as a solution, which is the health impact fund. And then finally, I want to tell you a bit about um, an immediate target that we have, which is a pilot proposal that we are working on and hoping to get started in the near future. So the pilot would test out the health impact fund um, at a more manageable scale. So in terms of problems in pharmaceutical markets, there are really three sort of core issues in pharmaceutical markets that are are deeply problematic and the the first is that in order to um, treat the diseases that people have and the conditions that they have we still need more innovation and um, we got to recognize that that requires Risky investment and substantial investment. So the most in investment, of course, goes nowhere. It develops no drugs. Occasionally, um, some you know some work actually moves forward and and turns into something that becomes um, successful and that actually uh, treats people. Um, we also need prices that patients or payers can afford. So in many cases, and this is a pretty familiar problem to everyone. Um, Prices for pharmaceuticals are just sky high, um, or even just not particularly high, but well beyond the ability of people in poor countries to afford. And a third problem, which is not always so well recognized, but which uh, is extremely important, is that we need well developed systems to deliver medicines and vaccines. They don't just appear on people's doorsteps. You need to have a whole network of um, wholesalers. Um, retailers, you need to have clinics where uh, physicians or, or other clinicians are going to be able to diagnose and appropriately prescribe medicines. So uh, we need all those three things. Um, in poor countries that tends to be particularly problematic. The innovation problem is one that, that uh, is often under-recognized So, what I want to note is that there's um, particularly little research into diseases that mainly affect poor people. And this turns out to be true for both government and industry funded research. Governments in Western countries tend to focus more on the diseases that affect the rich, i.e., their own populations. And of course, industry does the same thing. They're looking for markets that are going to be uh, attractive. And so, there's a massive underinvestment in developing treatments for the diseases of poverty um, and i'm presenting a slide at the moment for those of you who are just listening to the podcast which shows the number of clinical trials per 1000 dollies or 1000 disability adjusted life years um, and um, basically the severity of a, of a disease in terms of how many people and how badly it affects them can be measured in terms of disability adjusted life years so for in um, this slide, um, which comes from a, a recent study that I did with a, a graduate student of mine, uh, Javad Moradpour, and which has uh, just appeared in health economics. We look at uh, the relationship between the average patient income of a disease and the number of clinical trials over uh, the 10 years between, two, actually 11 years between 2005 and 2015. That what the um, research has shown is that the number of clinical trials for the diseases that mainly affect poor people, um, for example, malaria, tuberculosis, HIV, is just a, a tiny fraction of the number of clinical trials for diseases that um, have a more global distribution of um, lost lives. Um, things like, basically, uh, breast cancer tend to be, um, have roughly you know um, 50 times as many clinical trials per lost life as uh, malaria, for example. And you see this across the board, for example, if you divide the uh, diseases, uh, just if you just look at cancers, you can see that cancers that primarily affect poor people um, tend to get many fewer clinical trials. So there is a a substantial difference between the number of clinical trials for um, diseases for the poor and uh, those that affect global populations. The result of this is that the innovation strategies um, are quite different. When there's adequate demand, the mechanisms that we tend to use are the patent system, which is kind of a pay for performance system. In general, drugs that essentially have more effect and are more important to people are being rewarded on a kind of pay for performance system. If you can treat lots of people for diseases they think are important, um, you can make a lot of money. But when demand is weak, instead, we don't really rely on that system. I mean, the patent system isn't as important for malaria, for example. Instead, we get more money Supporting research through grants and donors decide which diseases and projects get funded based on um, their perceptions of need and also political expediency. And um, you know, in many cases, there's this hope that maybe corporate charity is going to going to deliver the day. And you can see that on the one hand, rich people essentially, for their own benefit, use the patent system. But when demand is weak and it's basically um, For the needs of poor people, we're using a system of grants rather than pay for performance. So the Health Impact Fund um, essentially kind of reverses that logic and suggests an alternative in which the patent system has the opportunity to work for everyone. Um, So it's really intended to provide a mechanism that addresses these needs of innovation, access, and availability that uses the same tools that we know work reasonably well for innovation for rich people, the tools we use for ourselves, um, but could also be used in situations with weak effective demand. So, the big target that we have is the Health Impact Fund, Um, and the idea is that governments would finance the Health Impact Fund to pay rewards to drug innovators and firms would optionally register new drugs with the fund. If a firm registered a drug with the fund, then that drug would be eligible for rewards and in exchange, drugs would be priced at the cost of production in all participating countries. Um, So a key part of this is how you decide how large the reward is for each uh, drug, and the idea is that rewards from a fixed pool would be allocated competitively based on the assessed health health impact of each registered drug. Um, It's important to point out that there's no change to patents, and this is just a payment mechanism. It's really about rearranging the way that we pay for innovation. Since governments would continue to be the main payers, insurers would continue to use health technology assessments. To decide whether they wanted to uh, pay for drugs, and corporations would continue to have primary responsibility to bring new drugs to market, although this doesn't exclude the possibility of not-for-profits participating in the Health Impact Fund. There's a very specific reward structure that we have uh, proposed um, with rewards paid over 10 years for new drugs, and firms would share a fixed total reward pool each year with the health impact to be assessed annually. And so rewards would evolve over time. This would really change things because firms would be competing for rewards on the basis of health impact instead of how much they could charge for a drug. Essentially, their goal would be to maximize the health impact achieved. We think that to make this work well, the rewards would have to be at least $2 billion a year. To uh, we think maybe six billion dollars a year annually um, and there are lots of benefits here basically the accessibility and the affordability of drugs would be improved um, there'd be a, a lower price since registered drugs would have to be sold at generic prices or even um, actually simply genericized and You'd also have strong incentives to address patient needs, since even at those generic prices, the value to the firm of getting the drug to patients who couldn't pay a lot would still be high, since the firm would be rewarded based on the health impact rather than on how much the patient paid. This would change things a lot for incentives for R&D, because all of a sudden there would be incentives for R&D to be conducted for important diseases that primarily affect mainly poor people. And in addition, uh, the fund would provide incentives to develop new uses for older drugs for which there would otherwise be no significant reward. So uh, it's really important to ask, well, how would assessment really work here? The reward pool would be split according to the share of health impact achieved by each registered product. So basically, if you got 10% of the health impact registered by all products in, in the uh, pool, then you get 10% of the uh, pool's reward. Um, it's clear the assessment would have to vary by product. And that would mean you'd have to do a negotiation with the company about appropriate data and measures at the time the product was registered. Ultimately, the likely measures would be those that are um, already being used. Um, for example, you'd look at um, pre-registration, clinical trials, you'd look at the volume of sales, and you'd look for subsequent evidence about the use and effectiveness of the product. So um, it's important to distinguish this from many proposals which have been made for prizes um, in which a new drug or a vaccine or whatever is going to get a fixed amount of money based on uh, someone's uh, decision about offering a prize. Here, the amount of money that a firm gets is determined by competition with other companies competition in this case to achieve health impact um, as opposed to um, having someone doing some economic modeling about how large a price has to has to be we think that the only feasible funders of the health impact fund in the long run are governments um, because you need both scale and long-term commitment however the net cost to governments would be reduced since governments would have large savings from low prices of registered drugs. So it's important to emphasize that this is really a way of restructuring how we pay for drugs to get better value and better outcomes. So the sort of drugs that we think would be attracted to to the Health Impact Fund um, are those that are therapeutically important but commercially unprofitable. Those are the drugs that right now are missing. We'd like to have those drugs, but at the moment, because they're commercially unprofitable, no one is investing in them. Um, And that's gonna come especially from drugs that treat relatively poor people. However, it's fair to say the Health Impact Fund isn't only for poor countries. Um, There are problems with drug affordability, even in rich countries, and often people don't get optimal drug therapy because government insurance doesn't cover a drug that has a price far above its cost of production. With the Health Impact Fund, that problem goes away because the price is always near the cost of production. Um, And there are, of course, potential therapeutic benefits uh, from having actual clinical trials done on new uses for older drugs. So over the last few years, we've had Positive discussions with a whole bunch of pharmaceutical companies, um, mostly large companies because they have more capacity to engage, as well as um, numerous governments, um, including the US and Germany, um, South Korea, India, Canada, and China. And our focus has been on basically putting together a feasible pilot to assess how firms would respond to a competitive mechanism in which they were, were rewarded explicitly based on. A, a Um, achieved health impact. So that's what we're after right now is a pilot of the Health Impact Fund um, over a limited time uh, five years um, that would have also limited scope. And the idea is that the Health Impact Fund would issue a request for proposals, select uh, a few promising proposals that would be about increasing the impact of a patent in medicine in a lower income country or a lower middle income country. And the proposal would have to include a commitment to sell at um, a generic price and a plan for achieving health impact. And then there'd be a fixed amount of reward money. Um, And here we're thinking about something in the range of 60 to $100 million to be divided over five years according to the assessed health impact. There'd be a maximum reward per quality. That would apply in case aggregate outcomes don't meet the target threshold. So essentially, there'd be a maximum reward per quality. But if firms were successful in achieving lots of health impact, um, then they would be in a competitive zone where that fixed amount would be divided between them according to their assessed health impact. Um, so we're looking for, uh, essentially, an opportunity to test how firms respond to that explicit competition. So let me just uh, summarize about why I think the Health Impact Fund is is worth supporting. Um, the first is that it actually is an effective tool to support innovation for neglected diseases. Um, it achieves low prices and access um, for any registered drugs. It would align corporate incentives with social goals in a way that literally no other program does because uh, basically corporations would have an incentive to maximize uh, the health impact that uh, their products achieve. Unlike most other mechanisms, it actually uses the existing capitalist system and the resources of actual firms, um, unlike many of the proposals, um, for example, for open science or product development partnerships, which look for some new um, sort of, uh, I guess, technologies developed to be developed by companies that don't actually exist in economic models that also don't really have that much of a track record. Again, unlike most models, it's designed so the firm thinks about the problem holistically from innovation to delivery. Firms don't get paid unless they actually innovate and develop a product. They also don't get paid unless that product reaches consumers and has a health benefit. And for that reason, it addresses the last mile or availability problem that is so often skipped over. Because it's a competitive mechanism, it actually can use competition effectively to control total costs. It operates within the existing system of intellectual property, which is very hard to get out of, while also solving access problems. And unlike many other mechanisms, again, in particular our current one, um, it's designed to reward firms that um, target disease at a population level. There are some serious challenges as well. One of them is that uh, you need a commitment by governments to fund it consistently. Second, in talking with governments, we found that they really like choosing what they fund. You know, It's just hard for them to accept the idea that you would fund something which doesn't determine exactly who's gonna get the benefit. They like the idea of being able to say, ah, we're going to fund research into tuberculosis because we know what that is, instead of saying, we're gonna fund research which is successful. Um, there are issues with the credibility of measurement and that's what we think the pilot uh, can help us demonstrate Um, and obviously we need to avoid free riding um, by countries that don't contribute and our strategy here is that non-contributing countries which are high income don't get the same low prices don't get access to the low prices that are required for registered products so that was a lot uh, but i do thank you for your attention i look forward to a discussion
0: Thank you for that presentation, Dr. Hollis. So now I want to jump right into a few questions of my own. So I just want to start off with, during the presentation, one of the things you mentioned about uh, how you decide which companies are chosen to be to receive funds from the Health Impact Fund, you mentioned negotiations. So my question was, why negotiate with these companies about the impact measures versus solely just looking at
1: the dailies? That's a good question. So... Um, the thing is, of course, the Health Impact Fund requires uh, that firms optionally register. So it's, its design is optional. And that means that the, um, at the point when firms are going to decide whether they want to participate, they're going to be in a position of, of saying, listen, I'd like to participate, but in order to do so, I need to understand how you're going to reward me. Are you going to measure the impact of this drug? And so, at that point, you'd have to uh, basically say, "Well, here's my proposal for how you know we'd measure it," and that would be based on what the, you know what the standards of the health impact fund are. Companies bound to come back and say, "Well, you're missing X and Y," and um, so you know at that point, you're going to have to engage in a good faith negotiation to make sure that you understand what the product is going to do. And um, make sure that you have a, a sort of set of rules in place for that drug that's acceptable to the participant because otherwise they won't participate. And acceptable um, to the health impact fund because you can't give one company some sort of very favorable terms because it's going to essentially eat into the rewards of other companies.
0: Do you think um, so I'm this organization is a standalone organization, I'm assuming like like the Global Fund, so would you say this negotiating from the Health Impact Fund would be some sort of um, put forward candidate by donor by donor countries, or should it have some uh, some partnerships with organizations like the World Health Organization with the United Nations? What kind of structure of who gets what funding would you say?
1: So uh, what kind of structure um, do we anticipate is Mm -hmm. it would have to be an independent uh, entity, although it could work under the aegis of another organization. There's no no reason to prevent that. In fact, we've heard often that there's uh, in the global health uh, arena, there's a concern about proliferation of different uh, organizations, So it would be interesting, certainly, to um, see the Health Impact Fund operate under the aegis of another organization, but it would have to, um, I I guess, operate in a way that was perceived to be independent, even if institutionally it was linked to another uh, organization. Who would have control over it? Ultimately, um, that kind of becomes a political issue. The funders tend to have control over what happens in any organization. Um, So one would look for, obviously, a uh, a governance structure that was gonna be responsive to the needs of um, patients, and in particular, that would be responsive to the needs of patients uh, in low-income countries. But you'd also have to recognize um, that uh, without having the agreement of donors, it's hard to keep donors on side. I
0: definitely would agree that, uh, especially we've seen with other organizations like the World Bank and stuff like that, where donors really can. It does somewhat become a little political of a question. Um, Another point I want to turn to is um, so you mentioned why for larger, more developed countries with a larger GDP, why they would have an incentive to join because they only get access to health impact fund by joining or by contributing to it for low income countries. How do we ensure that there is an equal geographic distribution of who gets what funding? For example, uh, a disease in sub-Saharan Africa versus a disease in Southeast Asia. How do we ensure that there is equal distribution of the benefits from the Health Impact Fund?
1: The Health Impact Fund wouldn't try to do that, unfortunately. it doesn't, It's not intended to be egalitarian. It's intended to fill in a gap. And that means that basically companies are intended to be incentivized um, to target the health uh, gains that can be most easily and cost-effectively achieved, regardless of where they are. Um, There's, uh, you know, I guess it's, Fair to say that there isn't that much uh, egalitarianism in the way that disease affects different people across the world, and the, the Health Impact Fund wouldn't solve that problem. It's not intended to be a universal solution to every problem.
0: Another thing is, I, a lot of people, or I guess some, argue that the patent system in general, the, such as the TRIPS Agreement, which tried to expand was an international treaty to make uniform standards, enforcement, and lay out dispute resolutions through the WTO of these patents internationally. A lot of people argue that that has been something that has negatively impacted these lower income countries and really uh, hampered their ability to access these medicines. Why do you think your the health impact model where it actually allows these firms to maintain their patent, but we just put a maximum profit is a better option than simply reverting back to when we didn't have these international patent treaties that ensured lower income countries.
1: Uh, were not covered by that as well. So, I mean, I'm not gonna actually say that, that one is uh, better than the other here. Um, I mean, that would be a really huge change to basically strip away intellectual property protections in the TRIPS agreement from all low income countries. I don't know whether, I mean, realistically, that may not be feasible, um, how that would work out. I'm not quite sure. Uh, Having uh, said that, the Health Impact Fund is only trying to essentially provide a complement to existing mechanisms, okay, and a partial fix. It's not going to fix all of the problems of drug access. For example, um, for high-priced drugs, which would be patented, and developed for global markets, it's unlikely that, that they the, the manufacturers of those products would find the Health Impact Fund all that attractive. It doesn't really solve that problem. But that is another issue, right, that the Health Impact Fund just doesn't deal with. That's basically like saying, you know, why doesn't Charity X solve this problem? Well, because you know, there's a lot of problems in the world. So we're only going to solve some problems. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and which problems is the Health Impact Fund actually attacking is really to say, um, at the moment, we don't have a very good set of mechanisms to support innovation and then delivery of new medicines for diseases that mainly affect poor people. Right? We just don't. Have, what's the mechanism to do that? If you strip away patent rights, do you think that's going to encourage GSK to say, now I should be working on malaria because I don't have patents? I don't think so, right? Basically taking away patent rights um, does not increase the incentives to address um, the diseases of poor people. So we need some supplementary reward mechanism or we need to just pay for it directly out of grants, one of those two. The Health Impact Fund offers a particular mechanism which we don't think should eliminate grants and isn't necessarily better than grants in every circumstance, but is a complementary mechanism that we don't have anything like that in our arsenal right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So even at, you know, even if it were fully funded at six billion dollars a year, if you compare that to the amount of money that is spent on innovative drugs today. And that is approaching a trillion dollars a year. We're only looking at a very small fraction of pharmaceutical innovation and and, uh, and development. Right? We're not we're not talking about about replacing the industry or sort of overturning everything or fixing all the problems or you know bringing Canadian style healthcare to all developing countries. It's not going to do that. We don't have that much money.
0: And. I'd like to also ask about, you mentioned the pharmaceutical companies you've uh, been in contact with. What has been the general response from these pharmaceutical companies? Because I definitely see how the Health Impact Fund bridges that um, varying incentives between the stakeholders whose main goal in the past is simply or currently is still uh, solely profits versus the um, more equitable access to, or the access to medicines. And I see definitely how your health impact fund can combine those interests. What has been the general response from uh, the pharmaceutical industry?
1: So it's mixed. Um, some companies are, are uh, like the idea of the health impact fund because um, they really don't like mechanisms that undermine patent rights which are a core part of um, how they tend to see their business proposition. Mm. And the Health Impact Fund doesn't attack that. Um, however, other companies have been less receptive on the basis that the Health Impact Fund, um, and this this is something that is, as far as I know, unique to the Health Impact Fund, um, because of its focus on essentially rewarding health impact wherever it occurs and in whatever disease category it occurs. Health Impact Fund creates competition across different therapeutic categories. So if I'm a company that's interested in um, developing drugs, for example, in uh, cancer, and then I put my drug into uh, the Health Impact Fund, it could be competing against a, a a drug that's um, treating tuberculosis. And um, that's something that's quite new in the sense that uh, there are no other mechanisms uh, out there that really try to use competition in as aggressive a way in order to control costs. And you'll notice this is a cost control mechanism because if uh, you've got a fixed budget and you um, you know, you have both drugs that treat—I uh, don't know—all the diseases from A to Z, and I guess for your American audience is A to Z. Um, then, you know, if A happens to be particularly effective, it means that uh, drugs in other categories may not make so much money.
0: For and for these uh, companies, you mentioned also how they this this health impact fund can alleviate the the last mile problem where they actually have to make sure that the drug that they produce is distributed amongst the population. Does the Health Impact Fund, uh, since it relies also on clinical trials and other studies like that, is it studying solely based on how these companies themselves can distribute their own drug? Should they use their own networks and like the markets? Or will the Health Impact Fund also have a structure whether it be if it if you said like in the beginning if it joined the united nations or something like that to distribute the drugs themselves so is the distribution being done by the pharmaceutical company through its ordinary uh channels or will the health impact fund have any uh help
1: with that um yeah so the health impact fund is just a just a payment mechanism um Mm. if you like it looks a lot like uh insurance basically Mm. um so it wouldn't be in the business of uh, helping to distribute drugs. And the idea is not necessarily that companies are going to um, actually, you know, do all the drug distribution themselves since, um, I mean, that, that's just not realistic for especially smaller companies. Um, the idea is that companies would look for the ways to ensure that their products were distributed um, efficiently. Um, and that would mean in many cases, in fact, in most cases, working with public health authorities to make sure that the drug's properties were well understood and that the drug was available. I mean, a major problem in developing countries, and this happens also in rich countries, is stockouts of drugs where you need to plan over what your uh, you know, availability of a drug is gonna be. You need to have reliable supply. Often drugs are just not available to people because the company, you know, didn't really invest in having um, stock available in, in in that country, you know, on a stable basis. Um, that's that's not at all un- uncommon to have basically drugs suddenly unavailable. And um, you know, part of the reason is that you know companies don't invest in low-income countries because. Well, if you can't make any money there, why bother to, like, have all this available stock? So the Health Impact Fund, by essentially making sure that companies are going to be rewarded for engaging in the activities that are going to enable their drugs to be available to people, um, you know, to make sure that they've engaged with the public health authorities so their drug is going to be appropriately prescribed. It actually encourages firms to do things that uh, are needed to make sure the drugs are gonna be available to people.
0: That's great. I really like the holistic version, the view of that. Um, Now, one more question for me before I turn to some questions from the chat is, I wanna turn to the elephant in the room kind of coronavirus as we're in the pandemic right now. Um, Do you think this type of incentive scheme you've outlined through the Health Impact Fund could be utilized to to distribute The coronavirus vaccine or treatment when it becomes available? Do you think it could help with that to make it get to these lower developed countries, especially when we see um, developed countries already bidding for a vaccine that's not yet, that's not even created yet?
1: I think that the COVID crisis is a, a sort of sui generis. It's its own special event. Certainly, we know that there's no shortage of economic incentive to develop a vaccine, Or other treatments for uh, COVID. So the Health Impact Fund is not really targeting um, this particular crisis. Um, Having said that, um, you know, this is, COVID is just the, I don't know, is the fifth or sixth or seventh uh, public health emergency of international concern that the uh, WHO, the World Health Organization, has observed in the last few years and um some others like zika um haven't attracted as much attention and um and i, I think um you, you know what happened was there was uh, certainly a sort a burst of interest in um zika in at the time when it seemed to be uh, spreading a few years ago and um then because it has been um, entirely limited to low-income countries uh, so far, companies have found themselves unable to effectively invest to respond. I mean, it's not that there isn't the scientific interest in going there. And of course, there are individuals in the companies, you know, scientists who have identified that there are interesting things to do and vaccines they should be developing. But commercially, it's not feasible you know, could that uh, evolve to become something that becomes again, a pandemic? Yeah, maybe. Um, and certainly it was allowed to sort of, um, you know, grow and basically spread over many years without much interest from pharmaceutical companies, even though people knew of its existence, until it began um, spreading more widely, uh, a few years ago. Uh, You know, it's clear that there are lots of zoonotic diseases um, that are yet to come. Some of them are going to arise in low-income countries. um, And some of them are going to start spreading, and there will be little interest in dealing with them. And, you know, they could easily turn into the next pandemic. So, yeah, if, if we can have better mechanisms to support research and development of drugs and treatments, for diseases that mainly affect people in poor countries, that's gonna be a, uh, a security benefit to everyone.
0: Thank you for that. Um, so I'm now gonna to turn to the chat. So it looks like we have a question from Joel. So Joel's question is, when the Consultative Expert Working Group on Research and Development looked at the Health Impact Fund, it liked it, but its main reservation was that there were, quote, uncertainties about whether a sufficiently reliable measurement of health impact could be achieved in the circumstances prevailing in developing countries, end quote. How would you respond to that criticism? Um,
1: Chiefly, that, um, that's what the purpose of the, the Health Impact Fund pilot is intended to do, is uh, to explore that. I mean, I, I think it's a, a fair observation that in the very poorest countries, it's extremely difficult. To get good information about how a drug is being used, um, and so it's going to rely on a degree of inference about um, what kind of uh, you know what kind of patients are receiving a drug and uh, at what volume, and so our um, our thinking about uh, how the assessment process would work is that it would be largely focused on. Um, essentially figuring out what the great clinical trials say about the effectiveness of a drug, and then the volumes which are actually being used. So the part that you need to know, particularly in low-income countries, is what are the volumes. In addition, it would be nice to know um, what are the circumstances under which the drug is being used. For example, is it being used for patients who have actually been diagnosed with the relevant disease? Um, and in general, you know, yes it is, but you know, diagnostic tools tend to differ across the world and in some places they're not as good. Um, so, you know, you need to make appropriate adjustments to the extent you could for that kind of issue.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, so I'll turn to one more question now I have from the chat with, which is a possible clarification here from Ariana. She says, uh, the Health Impact Fund operates national level, so if a country is not part of the fund, then the pharmaceutical company can register their patent in another country. How could this then ensure that neglected diseases would be looked after if only high-income countries invest in the fund?
1: So, um, g- good question, Ariana. So, the Health Impact Fund um, wouldn't actually change the patent status of the drug at all. Uh, countries would go ahead and register patents, but they would be required to sell the uh, product at a um, a generic price. And so in the pilot, we can't really enforce genericization, but you can imagine in in the Health Impact Fund at a high level, we'd be looking for basically the product to be um, licensed to generic manufacturers. um, For sale in all low income and lower middle income countries, and in all countries that were upper middle income and uh, high income countries that participated as funders of the Health Impact Fund. So basically, if you're a low income, then you get a free ride whether or not you participate as a funder. If you're a high income country, then the, country, the, uh, the um, owner of the patent, the, the manufacturer of the drug just gets to charge whatever price it wants. In um, a country that doesn't participate as a funder, I think we have no more questions
0: in the chat. So, nope. So, I just want to thank you again, then, Dr. Hollis, for highlighting your really important work with us today. So, for our listeners who want to learn more about Dr. Hollis and his work, you can find a link to his biography down below in the description. So, thank you again.
1: Great. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. To find more of our content or explore the exciting work being done by our parent organization, the Global Health Impact Project, you can check out our website in the description below. The Global Health Impact Project hopes to support efforts like this podcast to provide information about and advocate for access to essential medicines. Also, follow the Global Health Impact Project social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, don't forget, talking is the best medicine. special thanks to the funding provided by the World Health Organization through the Grant for Global Health Justice and Equitable Vaccine Allocation.